So this morning, we get to dive into a, a new series. Um, I like series because I feel like they give us some, uh, they give us somewhere we're, that we're looking uh, forward to, right? Somewhere that we can kind of say, here's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We just finished up a series on relationships, uh, and, and this morning we're going to dive into something that's going to uh, take us through the month of March. So Wednesday was an important day in the liturgical calendar. Uh, Wednesday was, anybody know? Ash Wednesday, okay? So it's the beginning of Lent. Um, you may not have grown up in a, uh, in a uh, church that celebrates that or, or, or observes that, um, but it is something I found useful in my own life, okay? It's not something that I necessarily grew up observing myself, but it, it, the purpose of it is to draw our attention to Christ, right? To look forward to the resurrection, to, to be setting our eyes on focusing on Easter. And, and one, a lot of people do during this time period is they, they give something up, right? They fast from something. So myself, every year, I fast from coffee as much as I can, okay? Uh, I would be honest with you, coffee is probably my one true addiction in life, okay? And I drink a lot of tea during this time of year. So... It always starts off pretty well. I'm like, first couple weeks in, I'm like, hey, this is great. I can do this. And then by the end of Easter, I'm like, I need my coffee. I'm like, you know, dying. So uh, maybe that's you. Maybe that was a little much for you. You awake now? Okay. Uh, but anyway, the focus of it is to draw our attention to Christ. So that's what we're going to be doing by diving into this series is we're looking at things that distract us. Things that may draw your attention away from Christ and things that are intentionally trying to really pull your focus away from your walk with the Lord. There may be some things that we bring up, you know, in this series that you may have to carve out of your life because they're distracting to you. Maybe they're keeping you from growing in your relationship with Christ. And there's going to be some times where you have to say, I need to move this out. This is only causing me harm. All right. Now, when I think of distractions, one thing immediately comes to mind. How many of y'all ever seen the, the Disney movie Up? Okay, a few. So you know where I, where I should be going with this, right? Because you have these dogs, and, and in, this, in this movie, these dogs are, they be these great, they're carrying along a conversation, and they go, squirrel! And they come back, and then they start carrying along a conversation, and they just keep, you know, pick up right where they left off. But it's really funny, because throughout the movie, several different dogs are just, squirrel! Right? They get distracted very easily. If you have a dog who's like that, you know exactly that that is the truth. Okay, Everything's great. They see something and then boom, they're just gone. Locked onto that thing, moving on with their life, focusing all on that thing. So that's what comes to mind when I think of distractions. Right? There are, there are things like that in our lives where everything is great. We're walking along. We're, we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. And then squirt. Something happens that draws our attention away and causes us to lose focus. There's a lot of different things that can keep us distracted. A lot of different things, okay? We're going to dive into a couple of them. This morning, all right, we're going to kick all of this off, and we're going to talk about worry and anxiety, okay? Uh, worry and anxiety. So let me, get this, let me get this started by asking you a question. Hopefully you can, you can join me in this mindset. How many of you are anxious? Don't, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. But think about this. How many of you are anxious on a weekly basis? Okay? There's something in your daily life okay, or weekly life that causes you to be anxious. Okay? You have anxiety about something. All right? Now, let's carry it a step further. How many of you are anxious on a daily basis? It's distracting, is it not? 
Is it not something that really just draws your attention away from the Lord when there's this thing that continually vies for your attention and tries to keep you in this altered mindset, right? Now, anxiety is one of those things that is very strange um, to science in, in many ways, but it has physical effects on us. Okay, you can be thinking and worrying about something and it literally have physical impact on your life. Okay, let me give you some examples. What are some basic symptoms of people who suffer from chronic anxiety? Agitation, right? They're consistently agitated very easily because they're on edge. They're on nerve all the time. Restlessness, chronic fatigue. You're tired all the time. You can't ever seem to get enough sleep. You can't ever seem to, to refuel that physical energy. Difficulty concentrating, right? So you cannot have distractions around you because you're consistently anxious about things and you can't focus and concentrate. Irritability, tense muscles, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, panic attacks, avoiding social interaction. Do any of those describe you at all? Maybe some of them do. Maybe in certain situations they do. Maybe you can relate to all of that list. I don't know. The next question that we have to ask is, where does anxiety and worry come from? Could come from many different things, right? Uh, if you're in school right now, right? Teenagers who are in school obviously face a lot of challenges, okay? Uh, they face a lot of different things that can keep them anxious. Relationships can cause us Anxiety, right? That's no joke. Uh, we can definitely be struggling to, to stay focused on our relationship with Christ when we feel like a certain relationship is falling apart and is causing us to be anxious. Right now, I think the thing that's on everyone's mind is this virus, right? I see people literally getting so paranoid and anxious about this, this virus that they, they shut down everything, right? They're not leaving their homes. They're not getting out. We're all a little concerned of what that's going to have, what effect that's going to have on the rest of the world. But I see that like at the paramount of this list right now. That's causing a lot of people worry and anxiety. Okay, And what's interesting is I planned this series out and I prayed about what God would have me preach uh, long before this ever really became a, a thing within our culture today. People get concerned about the future, right? People don't know what the future holds for their family. People don't know what their future uh, looks like, okay? Maybe it's your career. We all would like to know how things are going to play out, what those stepping stones will look like. But when we, we get it honest with ourselves, we can't anticipate everything, and we definitely can't control everything, so it causes us to be anxious, Overall, I think it would be safe to say that the majority of people in our society are anxious. They're worried on a weekly basis, and some, and most maybe, are on a daily basis. We're pressured in new and different ways, okay, uh, as our society continues to grow and evolve. And it often leads, that anxiety leads to very destructive behavior, Right? Because we get anxious, because we get worried, we go to something to try to numb or fix what we can't handle. Okay? Let me give you some examples. Our culture right now in America is dealing with uh, a, a prescription drug abuse problem. Okay? That's continuing to grow. All right? um, some statistics based uh, from the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Okay? 18 million Americans... 18 million abused prescription drugs in some way in 2017. 18 million, 
Okay, that's a large number. Now, almost all of these include the, the opioids. Okay, you got oxycodone, hydrocodone, morphine, things like that. 18 million people. That's 6% of the population abusing these prescription drugs. Okay, now, these are prescribed drugs. These are drugs that doctors say it's okay for you to have, but people are taking them and they're using them unwisely. And I believe the direct correlation is the amount of stress and the amount of anxiety and worry that our culture is feeling. I think those two things are directly related, right? You've got illegal drugs. There's no doubt that America has a drug problem, right? We continue to see those things rise. We continue to see people fall into the addictions of illegal drugs. Alcohol abuse, okay? That's not going away. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the things in America that we just sort of turn a blind eye to. We're like, well, we've got a prescription drug problem, things like that. You've got a lot of people that are abusing alcohol, too. And it's not a comfortable conversation to have. All right. But there's that's been around since Noah got drunk and passed out naked in front of his family. All right. That's not a new thing either. Okay, but people run to that because it's easily accessible. It's relatively inexpensive. It's not something that's going to get their name popped up on a database or anything. And it's a coping mechanism. Right. People use it to numb the pain. They use it to to sort of check out from reality. And people flock to things like this relationships. I think that relationships is, is another really common thing where people run to to try to get rid of anxiety and worry. They, they go from person to person, right? Trying to, to find that right fit where everything is just going to feel amazing and there's not going to be any problems. There's not going to be any angst anymore. The reality is that a person is never going to fulfill what only God can fulfill in your life. But our culture, our society is blind to that fact. And we think, well, if, this, if I can just be happy with this one person, then everything will be okay. So we go from one to the next to the next. And it's an endless endless cycle. We can sit here and talk about this stuff all day long. There's a massive list of unhealthy and destructive behavior. The reality is, okay, that when people feel that their life is too stressful or out of control, they look for solutions. They try to find something that they can put their hands on. And oftentimes those solutions are easy to get a hold of and they don't fix things. They're temporary patches to a much deeper rooted problem. I truly believe, like I said, there's a direct correlation between destructive and and, and terrible behaviors within our teenagers right now and the fact that their stress and anxiety is higher than it's ever before. I remember what it was like to be a teenager. I do. I would never want to go back there. And right now it's even more challenging because you have this rise of social media that has amplified things exponentially. Okay. Before... All right. The best I had access to that kind of stuff was like MSN. Anybody remember MSN Messenger? All right. You get home and it's like you sign on and you see who's there. You know, you got the little blue person thing right there, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna update my status, listening to this song, and then you know you can talk to people that way. And then that was like the coolest thing in the world when you'd be in the other room and you hear blah 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 blah. It's like, oh, somebody's talking to me. You know. Uh, now they've got this at their fingertips all the time. Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, all these different social media platforms, they bring the drama home and it just amplifies right up to the point where they go to bed, right? The last thing they see at night before they close their eyes is scrolling through what someone said about them or scrolling through what someone's saying about a picture of them, okay? 
It doesn't get any easier, okay, just because they're younger. And it's something that I believe is really just amping things up. It's a major distraction. I dare say that in a room this size, there are people who are controlled by their fears. You're controlled by your worries. You're controlled by anxiety in general in life. So the question that most of you are waiting for is, what does the Bible have to say about this? What does a 2,000-year-old and older book have to say about something that is going on right now in my life, chaplain? Well, we're going to dive into a passage that that deals directly with this. The book of Philippians, chapter 4. Paul speaks directly to this, okay? And I'm going to give you some principles and some, some advice that we can draw from this text to show us how to deal with anxiety. Believe it or not, it's mentioned specifically in Scripture multiple times, okay? Join with me in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, Paul gets to this directly. The very first piece of advice that he gives us is to stop it. Right? How many of y'all have ever seen that old Saturday Night Live uh, skit with Bob Newhart in the counseling session? Right? If you haven't, you need to go home and watch because it's hilarious. Right? This lady comes in and she's like, I need advice. And he's like, okay, sit down. She tells him her problem. And he's like, okay, I got two words for you. This will fix your problem. Stop it. Right? And that's it. And he's like, just stop it. You don't want to do that, do you? Just stop it. That's kind of what Paul is saying right here. Okay? He says, don't be anxious about anything. The very first thing that he gets to, he says, just stop it. Don't do this to yourself. Now, he doesn't explain his reasoning. He doesn't try to empathize with us. He doesn't say anything like, I know life is stressful. I know you've got a lot on your plate. He just simply says, don't be anxious. And not only don't be anxious, but don't be anxious about what? Anything. Anything. He doesn't give us a list of things that it's okay to worry about. He doesn't say, don't be anxious about your finances, but it's really okay to be anxious about how you look. Okay, that's okay. You can put that on the list. That's things that's okay to worry. He doesn't do that. He says, don't be anxious about anything. It's a blanket statement. It covers all of it. It's almost like Paul is anticipating this fact that anyone who's reading this is going to have some kind of response, right? They're going to be like, well, well, what about this? Or what about that? Why do you think he covers it with just anything? Because I think that anxiety is something that transcends culture and time. Okay? They dealt with a lot of problems in their culture. Okay? They were not free of issues. They were not free of persecution. Okay? The early church was in turmoil in the beginning stages. Right? They dealt with Roman persecution. Someone could bust down their door, take them, and kill them. You don't have that problem. Right? You've got someone commenting on your Facebook picture saying you look fat. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but I'm comparing things. They had every reason to be anxious. They had a lot of concern for anxiety and stress in their culture. And Paul doesn't play. He says, don't be anxious. 
Don't be concerned. Don't worry. Don't stress. I think that it's important for us to recognize that that oftentimes these things are a self-induced distraction. Oftentimes we choose to be anxious. We choose to be stressed, okay? You can have the exact same situation, the exact same event play out with two different people and they'll both handle it differently. That's true. You can put two totally different people in the exact same situation and they'll both handle it differently. Paul is telling us not to worry, not to let these stresses and not to let these things overcome us, okay? Oftentimes, we choose this. Now, there's, there's instances where I believe that people have um, mental issues where they cannot fight this. And I believe that's where medicine can, can help that. But sometimes we do it to ourselves. And we like it. Right? We sort of wear this busyness badge around like it's this prideful thing. It's like, I'm just so busy. I just got so much going on. I got this and this and this. And this. I'm just so stressed. And we compare our schedules with each other. And we're sort of like, well, I'm busier than you are. I'm more stressed than you are. I've got more problems than you do. Do we not? Nobody's, nobody's acknowledging. Y'all, are all, y'all, are all, y'all must all be really feeling this right now. Okay? Y'all are all like, he's talking to me. He's stepping on my toes. It's all right. I'm doing it in love. Okay? I'm doing it in love. We're going somewhere with this. But sometimes we do it to ourselves. And you say, okay, well, that's Paul. That's Paul. You know, Paul had some rough things to say. Maybe there's not anywhere else, you know, that, that would have anything like that. What about Jesus? You, you, you respect Jesus' opinion? Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious. Hmm. Do not be anxious. What does he say? About tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what Jesus does here is he's giving a command. It's an imperative command. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. So by being anxious and disobeying that command is disobedience. But you never thought about it that way, did you? You're disobeying Jesus. You're disobeying God when he says, don't be anxious. And you say, well, it's my choice to be anxious. I'll worry if I want to disobedience. That's a whole nother level, right? I just dropped a bomb, right? Right here. You know, y'all are all like, I don't know what to do. How am I going to handle this? It's an imperative command. I really love that Jesus doesn't give any caveats either. He doesn't lay a list out and say, it's okay to worry about this. It's okay to worry about that. We'd like to see some of that. He doesn't do that. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Don't worry about what is going to happen in something you can't Control. That's what he's getting at. Now, some of you are thinking, that doesn't help me at all. I know I shouldn't be anxious. I know, chaplain, you're not telling me anything I don't know. I struggle with this day in and day out. I don't know how to stop it. I'm dealing with this on my own. I'm really trying to fix this, but I can't. I don't know what to do. My family doesn't understand. My boss doesn't understand. Nobody gets it. I just cannot help but be anxious, and I'm losing my mind. Good. Okay, if that's you, stay with me. Because Paul doesn't just leave it at that, right? That would be unfortunate. If he just said, don't be anxious, and then close the book. And said, okay, Philippians, y'all just figure it out. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us wondering what to do. What does he do? What does he say next? He says, go to prayer. 
The second way to avoid this is not only to fight against it, to stop it, but to go to prayer. Look at verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Can it really be that simple? How come doctors all over the world haven't discovered that? How come, how come we're really not tapping into this idea of prayer? Well, remember what I said earlier. I think that part of anxiety is rooted in this fear of the future, right? Because it's outside of our control. We like to have control over everything in our society, right? I ordered something last week online, and it's not here yet. What is up with that? It's like a week Okay, Amazon Prime has totally spoiled us in that sense. Okay, we like to have control over everything. We want to have our hands on stuff. And when the future comes up, we still haven't figured that out. There's no way for us to be able to tap in to the future and control it. I don't care how smart people are. We have not finished that out yet. Okay, there is no time machine. Marty McFly, Doc Brown, that didn't happen. Okay, what we're really saying is we don't want to bet on the outcome. We don't want to just leave the outcome untouched. So we fret. We look for answers. Why prayer? Why does Paul tell us to pray? Okay. One of the things that I want to make sure that I do not do here is I'm not telling you to treat God like he's a cosmic vending machine. That is not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm not saying that when you get nervous and you get worried about an outcome, that you go to God and you pray and then Pops the outcome that you wanted. That's not what Paul is saying here. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Prayer, here's, don't miss this with me. Prayer realigns us with the sovereignty of God. Prayer realigns us with the sovereignty of God. Are you tracking with me? Here's what prayer does. It sits you down and puts you in your place and it puts God in his place. Because you have to acknowledge that you're not in control. Are you tracking? That's what prayer does. When Paul says go to God in prayer, it's simultaneously putting things in his hands because he can control the outcome. But it's also reminding you as a human being that you're not God. He is. So you put him on his throne and then you submit to his sovereignty. That's what prayer does for us. When we stop our day and we take time to seriously pray to our Heavenly Father, we put Him on His throne, we acknowledge who He is, we give Him complete control of the outcome, and we let go. We're reminded that He loves us, right? It puts us in our rightful place and it puts God in His. Let's go back to this passage in Matthew. One of the things that I try to to teach every time that I have an opportunity is that context is king. Context is extremely important when it comes to interpretation, okay? It's easy to manipulate a verse and make it say what you want it to say. It's got to be read in the context of what's going on. So how can Jesus make a statement like, don't be anxious about anything? Let's read the context for what he's saying. Matthew chapter 6. Start with me in verse 26. Actually, we'll just start in, in 25, okay? Matthew chapter 6, 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? That's a rhetorical question. He's saying, aren't you more valuable than birds and weeds? There is not a person in here that should have a problem answering that question. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Does it help you? Does it make you really live longer? Does it really put you in more control? Verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, a little of faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after all these things. He says a pagan culture is worried about those things. They don't know the God that you know. And your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows what you need. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's the context for that statement. I love what Jesus does right here because he takes things that are painfully obvious. Look at the birds. Look at the starlings that are running around the pigeons of Spokane. Okay? And he says, do you really think that you're not more important than a pigeon? Do you really think that you're not more important than a bunch of weeds? God has created you in his own image. He knows the very hairs on your head. Do you not think he knows what you need? Why are you trying to take control of this and say, it's mine. I need to know the outcome. Why do we consistently try to pull things back and take God off of his throne? He's pointing us back to the sovereignty of our heavenly father. First Peter chapter five, six through seven says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Put him in his place. Remember who you are. Throw your anxieties at him because God genuinely cares about the outcome. God genuinely cares about you. So you have Paul, Peter, and Jesus all from the inspired word of God, all telling us that instead of worrying about it, pray about it. Take the problem to the one who can do something about it. I love this quote, and I hope you have your bulletin so that you can write this down and maybe remember it. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. Think about that. He who cast the stars. Have you looked at the stars recently? Have you just tried to understand the breadth and the, 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 the vastness of our universe? And the Bible says that God knows each of them by name. Just gas and fumes and whatever stars are really made up of. Do you not think that he's in control and knows exactly where you are right now? What you're dealing with? 
Sometimes I think we, we, we belittle God to the point where we sort of take him down a few notches and we say, well, God's really like this. And, and the problem with that is that we sort of equate God to ourselves and we say, how could I keep up with all of that? You're not meant to. You're not God. He is. The God who knows every star by name is in no danger of forgetting you. Let me give you some peace this morning, okay? I don't care what happens with this virus. God is still on His throne. I don't care whether this becomes a pandemic and really lots and lots of people die. God is still on His throne. Because God's Word tells me that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. And guess what? That means cancer, folks. That means this virus. I don't care what you throw out there. Everything will bow to the name of Jesus. And there is so much that we put on ourselves and we say, well, God can't touch this. How do you know? Have you gone to him and asked him lately? Maybe you're too busy in your own bubble saying, I'm too stuck and I'm too worried about this. And poor little me, God can't help me. God is still on his throne today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and for eternity. Amen. All right. Y'all are awake with me. Good. I'm glad. On a very practical level, let me ask you this. Where do you normally run to when you're anxious? Where do you normally run to? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's, maybe it's some other coping neck mechanism. I don't know. But I know for me, sometimes I have to take a step back. I have to genuinely say, God, I can't handle this. Take it. Just take control of this. I'm, I'm, I'm really at a point where I am totally spent right now. I need you to step into this situation. I need your patience. I need you to help me. Take me out of the equation. I'm laying it at your feet. So what is the result of this? When we, we feel this anxiety and we try to stop it and we lay it at his feet and we run to him in prayer, what does Paul tell us is the result of that? Perfect peace. Turn back with me to Philippians and look at verse 7. What does Paul say? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling us that when we run to God in prayer, we take ourselves out of the equation. God literally gives us a peace that will sustain us through those moments. And look how he describes the kind of peace. He says it passes all understanding. So think about that for a second. You know what Paul is really saying right here? This doesn't make sense. The world tells you you should be worried. The logic behind this situation tells you you should fret and run around like your hair is on fire. That's what the logic says. But the peace that God gives you is a supernatural peace that transcends the circumstances, that transcends what you're feeling, and reminds you that He's still in control. It passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. How can someone look at us and say, how are you not worried? How are you not concerned? How do you not fret at night? I serve a God who's on the throne. And, and regardless of the outcome, even if I die, I'm going to be with him. It's a win-win, folks. 
That's what he's saying. He's going to give you that peace and help you understand that death is not the end. Life is not the end. We're to focus on him and he's going to help us in these moments. It's a divine peace that will guard our hearts. That's the kind of peace that delivers us from fear. And I don't know about you, but I need some of that from time to time. Because I am my own worst enemy. If you talk to my wife, she will tell you that I need a mirror right here because I worry. I fret. I like to know the outcome of things. And it bothers me when I can't. I need to know that God is still on His throne and I need that peace. I need to be reminded that, that regardless of what kind of crazy circumstance I come up with in my head, God is bigger than all of that. My point in all of this is that if we're not careful, these things will distract us. Right? This is one of the biggest distractions that I see in our culture. Is our, our innate requirement to try to have our hands on everything and control the outcome. And when we can't, immediately our focus turns from God to something else. And it distracts us from our relationship with Him. So I want to leave you with this. I'm not trying to oversimplify it here, but it really is a matter of trust. Do you trust Him or not? Do you trust Him or not? That's a question that's not always easy to answer. And it's, it's fluid and it kind of changes from time to time. But it really comes down to this idea. Either I trust that God is on His throne. Or it's all on me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in control of all of this. I can't. I have to lay my head down at night knowing that the God who knows the stars by name has not forgotten me. That's what I rest in. That's what gives me ultimate peace. Pray with me. Father, we humbly acknowledge that life is hard. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things, Lord, that are out of our control. There's a lot of stuff that, that we wish we had answers to, but we don't. So this morning, I pray that you would meet us in this place. And if there's someone here who's genuinely dealing with this stress and anxiety and worry, God, I pray that you would remind them that you are still on the throne. God, I pray that you would meet them in this place and show them your glory. God, I pray that you would transform our minds and our hearts. Let us be something different in this culture when everybody else panics and screams, what are we going to do? We can say God is in control. Let us be the light, Lord, where people can genuinely see a difference. We trust in you. We trust in you. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.